Welcome to Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast. We are an official Apple podcast and we can found on many other platforms. And my name is Migs Burrows. Hey, I'm sorry. Yeah, wake up. Oh my. Uh, and I'm Chase Burrows. <laughs> I better wake up. Okay. And today uh, we're excited to have Colin Blumstone on. He's the lead singer, songwriter of the Zombies, one of the big British invasion groups from the late 60s. And um, my band, you know, we we did zombie songs like when I was in like high school. And, and even I think in high school, we started doing them. So um, it's great to have you on the show. Um, are you in doing are you touring right now? Or are you about to tour? What's happening with that? No, we've uh, we've because of the pandemic, we've literally been at home for two years. And um, I think two or three tours have been either canceled or rescheduled for next year. But we are due to start. Um, we're coming to the States. Um, we're actually coming at the end of March and we're going to be there for uh, four or five weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be our, our first proper tour in, in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've missed that. I've missed being on the road. And it, who's what's the lineup? What would be the current lineup? Is Rod Argent still in the group? And oh yes, Rod Argent's uh, a keyboard player. Uh, Steve Rodford is on drums. Tom Toomey is on guitar, and Soren Koch is on bass. He's a Danish guy who, who in the last couple of years has taken over from Jim Rodford, who sadly died in a mm. in an accident. So. Uh, it's it's comparatively new lineup with regard to Soren taking over on the bass, but otherwise the lineup's been together for ten or twelve years as it is, and uh, yeah, it's going. It is a really really strong lineup. It's a great band. It's great that you've been able to keep those musicians together for that long time. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, as well as I, I mean, I can't remember where I saw you in London, but I also saw you in Connecticut here in the states about maybe eight years ago you wouldn't remember the venue i'm sure but it was it was a great and actually we did a meet and greet so i think i actually met you met you know we lined up and got to shake hands with the band um but i have a question about uh i i I was you know got the iphone when it came out about 12 years ago and from day one my ringtone was time of the season and I'm wondering that I must be one of millions that have time of the season as as a ringtone. But do you get paid for ringtones? Does the group get paid for? Uh, I think I think perhaps the writer does. I'm not sure if the band does. I'd like to think so. I'd like to too because uh, every time I hear and people, what's great about it is my phone will go off and you know in my pocket and I'm at some event or something and people will from 20 feet away go. That's time of the season. I mean, it's such an incredibly <laughs> iconic Brilliant. song. Yeah. 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 It's, it's an interesting song to me because it was the last song that the original Zombies recorded in uh, Studio Three and Abbey Road. I can remember it mm. vividly. Um, but the song itself was a big hit all around the world, except in the UK, mm. which is, of course, where we live. Yeah. <laughs> it was never a hit. Never a hit in this country, but it was worldwide. It was the Zombies' biggest hit, and and you know it was number one in Cashbox and two or three in Billboard, I think. 
but has, for some reason it was, it's been released three or four times in the UK, but it was never a hit. But people here know it because it's been in lots of commercials oh, and it's been in lots of films. Yeah. So they're familiar with it. I think a lot of British people think that it was a hit, but it, <laughs> it actually wasn't. It's one of those strange things with songs. you know. And you were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019, right? That must have been exciting. And you saying, yeah, in time, I saw just saw well, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, there were, I think there were six other acts, The Cure, Roxy Music, Janet Jackson, Def Leppard, Radiohead and Stevie Nicks. And we, uh, the, the ceremony was at the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn in front of 17,000 people <laughs> and it was televised as well. So, I mean, it, it was an, an evening I'll never forget. It was absolutely incredible. And uh, uh, in some ways it was a little unexpected because the band originally finished in 1967 <laughs> and it was kind of by chance that Rod and I got back together in 1999. Um, what actually happened was that I was I was touring as a solo artist, and I had a keyboard player who was l lovely bloke, great player, but totally unreliable. <laughs> and if anybody if anybody asked him <laughs> to play anywhere, like you know, a coffee bar or a uh, a vicar's tea party and play some of his songs this keyboard player would disappear and i would be left with no keyboard player oh my god and the last night he did this i was playing quite a big place in london uh with a keyboard player who didn't know me i just met him just before we went on stage he didn't know me he didn't know any of the songs I mean, really, I could have saved in the bus fare because I didn't know what we were doing. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack if I have any more gigs like that because he had no idea what he was doing and I had no idea what he was doing. And so I phoned up Rod Argent and I said, and Rob was a really successful producer at this point. And, and so he was, he was living in the studio. You know, that's where his work was. And I said to him, oh, look, I've got six dates left on this tour. Any chance you could come out and help me out in these six dates? And he said, yeah, I'd love to play the six dates, but I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to go back on the road. Mm. Six dates, fine. So that was 1999. And here we are in 2022. And he, he really enjoyed it so much that we just kept going. So... Uh, so much in the zombies history is chance and and that's one of the things that if this keyboard player hadn't kept disappearing perhaps yes. rod and i would have never got back together again but and we just built it up you know for nothing we were playing in little rooms at the back of pubs and just word of mouth and continually touring we've built it up to you know it, we're playing quite serious venues now and the, the icing on the cake was, as we were just talking about, we just got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which mm. is just incredible. Well, it's sure. a great video of you doing Time of the Season, the group, and, and, and it's so much hard. I mean, the way you sing, I mean, you, you know, you're, you can just tell it's such a passionate uh, performance. But was there, do you get to rehearse very much for that, for the Hall of Fame? Uh, I don't, I think, you know, we, we played it through in the morning uh, from memory, you know, I don't think it was actually rehearsed. I think they, 
I mean, I, I think to be uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you've had to have been making records for something like 25 years. There's a rule, you know, it's yeah, not for think. new bands. This is no. a band for the more classic rock bands. So I think they they kind of accept that you know the songs, you know, you're not going to rehearse. <laughs> uh, but we, we got sounds, you know, we, yeah. we, we played it a couple of times. But of course, they also, they want the original lineup. Now, Hugh Grundy, who plays drums in, in the original band, and Chris White, who plays bass, they haven't played professionally, except uh, when they play with us, when we do Odyssey and Oracle with the original band. But they haven't toured professionally, really, since 1967. So they did incredibly well to come out on stage and, and, and play in a fairly pressured environment like that mm. when they haven't toured regularly over the years oh, they were fantastic what do they do what have they been doing all these years uh well chris is is a writer i mean he's a producer and a writer but he's written many many great songs and of course he wrote hold your head up for argent which was rod argent's next yeah. band chris white wrote that song and um he's written many many songs hugh i i mean I lost track with Hugh a little bit until I know he had a really lovely pub. I, could, I went there, which is, <laughs> was about 50 miles away from where I live. I had a very couple of very nice evenings up there. But he now lives in, uh, just off Spain in one of the Balearic Islands, uh, Menorca. Uh, he, uh, Hugh still plays in a local band, but he's retired uh, now. When uh, Migs went to England, uh, like was the late sixties, right? Migs and I went in nineteen seventy one or seventy, and of course the Marquee Club was really a huge place for bands to start out. Did did the Zombies get to play there? Well, strangely enough, the Zombies didn't play in London very much. Oh. From memory, I'm pretty sure we only played two dates in London ever, I, and I can't really explain why. I think. When we started, we, we had a hit record straight away. So instead of having that kind of baptism of fire of playing the London clubs, yeah. we were straight away on package tours. You know, we were shipped off to do a tour with the, the Searchers and the Isley Brothers and Dion Warwick. Almost immediately, we became a, a professional band. I mean, I, I think it was a, a real loss for us that we didn't play those clubs like Eel Pie Island, Kluke's Clique and the Marquee and, and many others. Um, mm. Later on as a solo artist, after 71, I, I was a solo artist and I certainly played the Marquee as a solo artist uh -huh. many times. I, I, I loved it. It was, it was a fantastic place to play. But yeah. the, the Zombies very rarely played London. It was strange. And, and I've heard other um, uh, British rock guys from that time period talk about the Bag of Nails Club. I guess they had music there. I don't know if that was pre-Marquee. Yeah. I th um, the, the Bag of Nails Club, I remember late 60s and into the 70s, I think. I used to go there to have a drink. I never played there. Yeah. Um, and we used to go to uh, the Cromwellian Club as well, which oh, was that, that, that same sort of era. Yeah. I, and we were... We were made members. I don't know how we got a membership for the Bag of Nails. I've no idea, but we were made <laughs> members of the Cromwellian Club because we auditioned for um, Otto Preminger's film, oh. um, Bunny Lake is Missing. Oh, sure. Starring Lawrence, Lawrence Olivier and Carol Lindley. 
Mm. And uh, we we had three songs in that film. So there was a basement at the Cromwellian Club and we auditioned for Otto Preminger and his entourage. Oh. And uh, he was an interesting character. Very, fairly tough. Imposing. Yeah, and, uh, he liked, for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he liked to shout and stuff. Um, it didn't really work with us because we could take it or leave it, you know. Uh, and it did get a bit tense at times, but actually we just ignored him and and he quietened down after that. But for the people around him, he was very demanding. And I, you know, I noticed that he got his sort of uh, secretary, she was crying. He was oh. shouting at her so much. It was, it was, I mean, I'm not saying this as a joke. It really wasn't very nice. Yeah. And she was, she was crying when Otto was shouting at her and we, you know, we just ignored him really. So I don't, I don't know where I saw this on Wikipedia that says that zombies made like 25 appearances or something like that on, on TV and film. Is that like the, just the music or were, were you actually playing the zombies in a, you know, as yourselves in a, in a movie or how did that work? No, no, no. We, but we did a lot of TVs, uh, certainly in the 60s. There were... Um, the, the main ones here, I'm trying to remember what they're called. Top of the Pops was a huge right. uh, show over here once a week. Uh, Ready, Steady, Go. We played that many, many times. Mm-hmm. And Thank You, Lucky Stars, I think, was another one. So the Zombies did a lot of TV in, in the UK. But no, we never, I don't think any of us would claim to be actors. Um, <laughs> yeah, Shindig here. You're it's an interesting thought. We used to watch. Oh, we did Shindig, yeah. Oh, and Hullabaloo, yeah. yeah. Hullabaloo. 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 Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, like the yard. the first ever Hullabaloo. Oh, well. I'm curious, do you, do you uh, is the, the word, the, the, the phrase British invasion, is that, do, do you, are you okay with that phrase? I, always, I just started to think about it. It's like, sounds like, you know, you're, you're invading, you're intruding. It, it could have negative connotations. I mean, do you, do you like being one, can, talked about as one of the British invasion groups? You're a British group, you know, who made it big in the U.S. No, I mean, I don't mind at all. I, I know it was a... You're trying to make it sound like the revolutionary music musical and social thing. And so I, I, I don't mind. You don't mind, I don't mind that at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, in some ways I'm, I'm really proud to have been involved in in something like that, we, when you look at who the, who you're being thought of with, you mm. know, bands like the Beatles and the Stones, the Kinks and the Who, right. and if you're included in in a, in a list of bands like that, I think it's it's a real honor. Sure, it's amazing how I mean I read a little bit how the name came about, but you know nowadays zombie everybody I mean zombies is such a, a ubiquitous term because of the TV shows and movies and so you know you're on the tip of everyone's tongue anyway you know and and more familiar but yeah, yeah. when you when you were named the zombies way back in the early '60s uh, that was so who ever heard of a zombie then you know who 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 Absolutely. Well, I, I was the name really, I think, came out of desperation because that it's very important that a band has a name. Mm. <clears throat> and it seems in some ways a little bit trivial, but you have to have a name. And for about a week or 10 days, we were the Mustangs and we realized there were 
thousands of bands with the name <laughs> the Mustangs. And then we were, and this is my idea, it's really awful. I got it from a film, a Robert Mitchum film, The Sundowners. Oh. Um, that, that only lasted days. It only lasted days. And that was my idea. So I'd plead guilty. Um, <laughs> And then our original bass player, who was only in the band for a short time, he came up with the idea of the zombies. And I think everyone really liked it in the band and it was memorable and snappy, but I had no idea what a zombie was. I'm not even sure if I know what a zombie is now, really. Um, and I didn't particularly like it, but it just stuck. And um, you, know, you, you, you get used to it after a while and it doesn't really mean anything it just means us it would mean it's, something it's different bands to, called the right today it would mean something different because people would think oh you're trying to be yeah uh, i mean living dead yeah. I, I like to think that i like to think that we're trendsetters you see because before us <laughs> there was no zombie culture and so we introduce zombie culture to the world yeah, i think <laughs> well i like to think it may not be true <laughs> So I have a trivia. I have a trivial question about it. It's just I, I'm always fascinated by the in, in time of the season. There's that breath, the dun dun dun, ah, yeah. dun dun dun. Ah. Did that was that spontaneous? Was that did, did somebody write it? Say we're gonna all take a breath now. You know we're all gonna make that breathy sound. Do you remember how that came about? Well, I, I can remember it really clearly. We were sitting listening to the track. No, there was no idea of having a yeah. Dun, dun, dun. That, that was, hadn't been mentioned. And Rod Argent was sitting there and he said, you know, I can hear some sort of percussive noises here, maybe a hand clap and a breath. And I think it was the engineer said, well, his guy called Peter Vince, he was a fantastic engineer. And he said, um, well, go in and do it, you know? And so Rod was one take. And, and incidentally, we were recording on a very small budget. So a lot of things on that album were one take. We, <laughs> we had to record very quickly. And uh, so Rod just went out there and boom, boom, boom. Was it his? So it, that's him doing it or you? Who did the breath? No, it's him. It's him. Oh, okay. I don't like to admit that, but it was Rod. Yeah. <laughs> so, so back then, like how many tracks what are, did the recording studios have? like when you recorded that song? Well, we were recording in Abbey Road uh, in Studio 3, cutting edge technology. Yeah. I think actually they'd managed, see, we went into the studio just after the Beatles, days after the Beatles had finished Sgt. Pepper. And in England, they only had four track machines, but the Beach Boys had just been recording on an eight track machine. Mm. And Beatles had just said to the guys in the boffins at Abbey Road, we want an eight-track machine, and they managed to literally put two four-track machines together. But in doing that, they lost one track. Uh -oh. So we, we really were recording on seven tracks. And we thought, this is incredible. We've got seven tracks. I mean, <laughs> yeah. compared to what happens nowadays, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, you know, it's laughable. But it seemed like a real step up to us to be recording. And it's funny. I, mean, I remember when Boston the band came around, they boasted about, they're the ones who, listen, you know, we got like 120 tracks or whatever it was. It was a massive electronical board. And, you know, it, it doesn't, the music sounds, you know, doesn't really improve no. the form of the music by having so many more tracks. I always thought that was like overkill, uh, 
I yeah, can see what Interact would be. It can be. And, and, you know, one of the real problems is it gives you so many choices. So it, it can really slow things down because, um, you know, I, I don't want to go back to four tracks, I don't think. But that's the <laughs> other, you know, like She's Not There was recorded on four tracks and to a large extent, uh, it's, it was all done live pretty much. I think we put the vocals on afterwards. Uh, the I did the lead vocal and Rod and Chris did backing vocals at the same time after they'd done the backing track. But to a large extent, it was live. When you've got all these tracks, it gives you so many choices. It can make it torturously slow recording because nobody can make up their minds what they want to do. So that's the downside of having so many tracks but i mean there's a middle path you know you you you, you don't need 120 tracks really you can there's you know, something to be said like you know you go in there and you're playing it's almost like playing live like i, I forget how i got into some recording studio i was i was a drummer and i was probably trying to audition with some band but i remember sitting at the record plant for about six hours while this singer was trying to reach a note, it sounded perfect to me, to my ears. And then, it, you know, but he did over and over for hours. And they took, they'd start doing cocaine, you know, and then some guys, Alice Cooper came in, they started doing cocaine again. And then, but they're just listening to this guy trying to reach this note, which again, to my ears was perfect the first time. But to them, it was like, you know, more, 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 more. Okay. It was like insane. I uh, I thought the guy was going to lose his voice. Well, obviously it can happen. Um, we've gone to ex exactly the opposite extreme with the zombies. Our last album was called Still Got That Hunger. And we recorded it live pretty much. Uh, the backing tracks and the lead vocal were all live, one take. Uh, the solos were live, one take but we overdubbed the backing vocals. That was the over, only thing that we overdubbed. And we've just finished a new, in the last two days, we've finished a new album. And to a large extent, I think that was exactly the same. We, we recorded live and including the vocals. Well, there's, there's an energy that you get when you record live that's right. not there if you're recording separately. And a lot of albums nowadays are recorded separately. Maybe even people do their performance in their home studio and they send it in digitally to the, the place where it's in, the whole project's being put together. Um, but we prefer to all get in sure. to the studio together. Um, and it, I think it really does add something. Sure. Yeah, I prefer energy over over perfection any day. I mean, you know, the, if you you know you can piece a song together phrase by phrase, and it's just mechanical. Um, so the essence of rock and roll is the energy. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the essence of it. Yeah, the, the energy and the stuff. So um, I find it interesting in your history. You know, the Beatles apparently auditioned for Decca and were turned down, and you you were accepted by Decca Records, right? That was not your label, your first label. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that, that's a bit strange. Um, that's true. I mean, but <laughs> in a way, although we recorded, we didn't literally record for Decca, so we were quite lucky. We recorded for an independent production company who had a deal with Decca. Oh, okay. Uh, so we didn't actually audition for Decca. And it also meant that the uh, ownership of the masters reverted to us after a period of time so we were really fortunate because because mm. a lot of bands in the 60s 
really never saw any royalties in the 60s and, and haven't seen any royalties since. But for us, it's been exactly, well, almost the opposite, really. We, we did okay in the 60s from records. Um, but because the songs are in so many films and commercials, it, we are still earning royalties 50 and 60 years later. So it's, it's, it's totally unexpected, but it's been a wonderful surprise. Yeah. And look at all the books you've been able to buy with all that money. That's <laughs> <laughs> your personal library back there? No. This house is just, this is only one room. And there's another wall there with books as well. And there's a room next door that's full of books. And um, we're very avid readers in this house. It's, um, it's insane. Sometimes I can't get into my bed because there are <laughs> just so many books around the bed. Wow. So, yeah, we do read, we read a lot. When you say we, what's your family? Anyone say? Oh, yeah. I, well, I, you know, I, I married my wife's Susie. She's in the next room. And uh, we have a daughter called Rosie, who is actually a doctor. And um, she's just, uh, she's a qualified doctor. And she's chosen to uh, become a psychiatrist. And so she's, she's on that path at the moment. Wow. So we're very proud of her. Absolutely. So she doesn't think we are, but we are. Of course, yeah. Well, if she ever sees this, <laughs> no, that's the song you're on the record as saying that's yeah. And uh, we should, to... yeah, go ahead. Thanks. Well, I just wanted to make sure everyone knows that Odyssey and Oracle was uh, chosen by Rolling Stone as one of the 500 greatest albums ever recorded. Was. It's a yeah. big, big honor. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's it's fantastic. Um, that it was recognized by Rolling Stone because at the time it it wasn't really noticed by the public. I mean, that's one of the main reasons that the band finished in 1967 because uh, Odyssey and Oracle didn't get the reaction we were hoping for. But just by word of mouth over the years, it's it's become, you know, a very well-known album. It, it's quite an extraordinary story really without having uh, it charted for one week, I think, at mm. 98 in the Billboard charts. So it's, it really hasn't been a chart album. Um, do you but blame it on the record well company for not putting enough prom promotion behind it? Or do you think it was just like it that it wasn't didn't have its time? We're ahead of its time, yeah. It's time. It might be ahead of its time. But also there was no band at that time to promote it, which I think oh. uh, puts it at a big disadvantage. The band finished in um, 67. And Time of the Season was a hit. I, I can't remember, but 68, 69, but, you know, we, the band was long gone by then. And so we weren't there to promote the album. That's probably a big part of it, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think, so. I think so. But I think you played it on the tour that I saw you on in, in, on the, in United States. You, you did an Odyssey and Oracle tour, didn't you? Or, yeah, we've you know. done two or three, I think, actually. Yeah. And even on one of our last tours of the States, we toured with Brian Wilson. Hmm. Uh, we did Odyssey and Oracle. He, I think he did um, Smile, the album Smile. I, I, I really wanted him to do uh, Pet Sounds just because I've, I've sort of thought of those songs, those albums coming out roughly the same time, but he thought they'd done Pet Sounds too much and he wanted to do something else. But it was great to him with Brian Wilson, a, a real experience, wonderful. Yeah. What we are, you know, you, you st go ahead. You want to, we're almost, we've got a few minutes left. Trace should ask your 
No, that's all right. I, I, go ahead. Oh no, I just wondered because you started so young. I mean, you were sixteen, I think, when you when you started, you know, with your with the other guys and and ended up being the zombies. But what what were your, what were you listening to as a kid then? Was it American imports? People always talk about you know, hearing music coming over, you know, people like this, well, in Liverpool, they'd come over on the boats and they, and the, and the sailors would bring records from the, from the, from the United States, you know, and that kind of thing. Elvis and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, um, absolutely. I mean, all, the reason I wanted to be in a band, the reason I wanted to have a guitar uh, was American music. I'm, and my early influences probably would have been Elvis Little Richard and Chuck Berry. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I always think of them as the greats of rock and roll. And then later on, it would be Buddy Holly, Ricky Nelson, Buddy Holly, Ricky Nelson, and, uh, you know. Everly Brothers. And, uh... Everly Brothers. Oh, that's what I was trying to think of. Um, and they were all American artists that I think we were listening to. And honestly, sometimes when I'm on stage, especially back in the 60s, I used to feel quite guilty when people are you know applauding us and i wanted to say listen we're playing your music i don't want you to think we've stolen it we're fans you know we're real fans of american music and we play it because we love it and uh, I'd, I'd always want people to know that that we're not trying to make out that music is ours it's american music and it comes from the blues and the rhythm and blues that led to um, led to rock and roll Right, yeah. What was it? Muddy Waters said the blues had a child, a baby, and it was called rock and roll. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. It's true. it's true. But you had what was it? Skiffle music? What was what was in you know sort of indigenous to 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 Britain? I mean, you had your own. We did. I mean, it's you know, I, I'm not quite sure what we had really. I think we had sort of balladeers to a large extent. I think we followed American music, you know, with like Glenn Miller, the, the, oh, those sorry. big bands and things like that. I, they were very popular. But remember, we're going back now to when I was seven or eight years old. I mean, I'm, I'm not too sure what people were listening to. But on the radio, you know, we have national radio here. Mm. Um, and then there was only national radio. And they used to play a lot of like uh, light orchestral music. And that's what you had to listen to. The, the Musicians' Union was very strong and they used to have a thing called needle time over here. You could only play so much recorded music. So they had lots of orchestras that used to play. And um, for years, that <clears throat> was a real problem for bands because they, they didn't play records. Uh, that would, it's hard to believe now, yeah. but the national networks here didn't play records. They had orchestras playing. <laughs> And that didn't change till the late 60s. Wow. And they still were restricted on how many records they could play, even then. Um, I, I don't know what the ruling is now. But, uh, and of course, we have many, many radio stations now. That, again, we, I think we've copied you. We've got the same sort of thing that you have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Do you still have pirate radio? There's still the ships off the uh, coast? They, they close them down. Uh, the government was was you know really concerned that they couldn't control these pirate but I mean, they were only playing music yeah they were incredibly popular and no one was listening to state radio 
And, but so they closed them down and, uh, and said that they would give the same sort of service with the national networks, but they never did because the BBC is full of bureaucracy and, and you know, career uh, audio people. I don't know what you would call them, really. I mean, they're interested in their careers. They're not interested in music. And um, the BBC is, is full of people like that. So they're always making rules about what records can be played. And DJs do not have the choice of what records they play. Mm. They're told what to play by the producers. And the producers are told by the senior producer and, and so on. It's, um, it's a real shame. There was a spontaneity and an energy about pirate radio that I'm afraid disappeared as they were closed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I got to listen. I'm glad I got a chance to listen when I was there, but um, I'm sure Trace did too. But anyway, any last, Trace, any last comments? Any, Colin, do you want to, anything before we sign off and say goodbye? Anything you, you want to uh-huh. Well, you know, I I think I've said it before, I'm just really looking forward to getting back on the road again. And uh, so fingers crossed, uh, starting the end of March. um, Do you know what the cities it might be? Well, you know, they're all on, uh, if you go to thezombies.net, that will lead you to the tour. And we actually start off with a sort of a music-themed cruise. There'll be lots of bands. I think the Hollies are doing it with us, the last I heard. And, and many other bands are doing this cruise in the Caribbean. Mm. And, and then we work our way through Florida. And I think we're actually in the States for four or five weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. And if uh, any of your viewers or listeners get a chance to mm. come and see us, do come and see us. We'll be playing lots of hits and lots of obscure tracks and lots of tracks from a brand new album. So something for everyone. Great. Great. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed having a chat. Thanks for your time, Colin. Cheers, guys. All the very best. Yep. Okay, bye. Bye.